It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a quick take on Britain's vote to exit the European Union. I was absolutely clear about my belief that Britain is stronger, safer and better off inside the European Union. But the British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path. And as such, I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. Prime Minister David Cameron there, who campaigned to stay in the EU, announcing he would step down. This is a big deal for the global economy, for geopolitics, and for U.S. politics as well. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Asma Khalid, campaign reporter. And I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. Scott, can you just give us the quick version of what the heck happened with Brexit? Well, where to start? Basically, the United Kingdom is saying goodbye to the European Union. Uh, Yesterday, they went to the polls and 52 percent of Great Britain said they don't want to be in the EU anymore. Uh, Great Britain, even though they don't use the euro for finances, they've been in the European Union for decades. And this is a really big deal. And and the first sign you can see that is that the uh, financial markets around the world have just cratered today in the wake of the UK saying goodbye to the European Union. And by the way, if you guys want to hear more about the economics of Brexit, our podcast colleagues Planet Money are doing an entire podcast all about the economic implications. Definitely make sure to check that out. So, so Scott, this entire Brexit situation is so interesting to me because it feels self-inflicted. This is a referendum that did not need to happen. Is that right? That's right. And a lot of people are comparing this to a, a Pandora's box situation. Uh, the reason that this referendum happened was a political deal that David Cameron, Britain's prime minister, cut a couple of years ago when he was running for re-election. There's always been a lot of tension in the Conservative Party, the Tory party that, that Cameron heads, about whether or not uh, Great Britain should be part of the EU. He, uh, he told members of his party, you know what? We'll have a vote on it. We'll have a referendum on it. And at the time, people thought that, that the stay campaign would easily win. But the uh, the push to leave the EU really picked up steam and picked up steam. And uh, frankly, as I'm sure we'll talk about, there are a lot of parallels between that movement and, you know, Donald Trump's campaign in terms of a lot of feelings of nationalism, a lot of feelings of, of wanting to, you know, stick it to the elites in the country. Like wage stagnation. Right? Yeah. Um, reading the paper and listening to the radio this morning, I I heard people use the term divorce regularly, but this feels like it almost feels like you ask for a divorce and then your spouse says yes. And you're like, oh, I didn't know you were actually going to say yes. I mean, that's some of the reaction I've seen this morning is, you know, folks saying, well, we voted to leave, but we didn't actually think that leave would win. We thought that remain would win. But that being said, I do not in any ways mean to diminish the power of the leave camp. I mean, look, people had been polling on this. Financial markets had been ticking upwards with an indication that Britain would remain part of the EU. All those polls and all the economists sort of, you know, making these predictions and outlooks were wrong. And I think they underestimated the power and the frustration that voters felt about both being a member of perhaps of the EU, but also, you know, about immigration and wage stagnation. I want to talk more about U.S. politics in a minute. But first, Peter Kenyon is in London. He is an international correspondent with NPR. Peter. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Peter. This is Asma as well. Hi, Asma. Hey, and Scott. Hi, Scott. So what is it like there now? 
Oh, it was a crazy day, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, and I saw it through a bit of a fog since I was up till 7 this morning oh, following the, the results. So once I did manage to stumble out on the street, it was really quite something. Uh, everybody had a kind of a dazed look, uh, whether they'd got a good night's sleep or not. Uh, one thing that I noticed... It was amazing how many people responded to questions, mostly from journalists like me, uh, about how they voted and the Leave voters, serious people who thought about this. But the number of them that said, you know, I didn't really think this was going to happen. Wow. <laughs> we've been looking at uh, we've been looking at Google Trends and things like that of a spike in what is the European Union and a spike in. So what actually happens if we leave the European Union and these searches are happening after the polls closed? I mean, do you get a sense that people are trying to sort this out after they made their decision? Well, they have no choice now. That's for sure. Uh, the the I did meet one banker yesterday uh, in East London, and and he just came right out and said, "Why did they?" Give us this referendum. You know, we, we really don't know what we're doing. And that was the gist oh, of it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, obviously that's not fair to so many of the voters who did spend a lot of time thinking about this and, and who had very good reasons for the way they voted. But the point is nobody really knows a lot of what's going to happen next. They're, they're really moving into areas that, you know, they're going to have to feel their way along. So, Peter, this is Asma. I wanted to ask is this referendum, did it kind of cut across traditional party lines? I've been hearing some talk that there was a, a labor revolt in parts of the country, a protest mm-hmm. vote. And I'm just wondering, you know, as we sort of look at parallels possibly with U.S. politics, was there a, a degree that you saw, you know, conservatives and folks within the labor movement coming together to vote to leave the EU? Oh, not just a degree. It was huge. Yeah. Working class was important. Uh, if you had a college degree, you were more likely to be remain. If you were young, you were more likely to be remain. Older, white, more likely to want out. <laughs> it uh, sounds it, so, like America. It does sound so similar <laughs> to our politics right now. The populist rebellion is uh, is a phrase that's being used a lot around here now. And the other aspect of that is that people are just fed up with listening to experts. They don't want to hear corporate leaders, the Bank of England governor, leading politicians and economists explain all the terrible things that are going to happen if you leave the European Union. They just started closing that all off and going back to their instincts and listening to people like Nigel Farage at the UK Independence Party and the other Leave folks who appealed to their down-to-earth nuts-and-bolts questions about immigration, about pocketbook implications. So are there people who are really excited? Is there like champagne and and confetti or or is it or is it like just one big hangover? There must be people who really wanted this. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to pro-leave areas, even here in London, which came about pro-remain by and large. But you go to some of the uh, pro-leave neighborhoods and uh, not so much champagne. I have to say this is more of a beer crowd. But, <laughs> yes, plenty, plenty of celebrating, uh, a bit of nervousness about what's to come, but uh, a real sense of empowerment that uh, they had their say. What is to come? How does, the, how does this go forward? And, and how Peter, long will that, it take? And Peter, well, on that note, if I can jump in too, and what about <laughs> Scotland? Because it looks like yeah. Scotland voted overwhelmingly to remain a part of the EU. Okay, well, let, let me just take a note here and make sure I get all that stuff. Okay, so I don't forget anything. We're just right, so, so overexcited to learn all the details about this. <laughs> well, I can't give you all the details because a lot of it is unknown. But what happens next, and apparent, and from David Cameron's speech today, it's clear that it's not going to happen right away. But what has to happen at some point is the British government has to tell Brussels, okay, we're leaving, 
and that will trigger Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, one of the EU main founding documents, uh, which I don't have a lot of detail on because it's never been done before. <laughs> but it does trigger a two-year negotiating process. And one of the things that Cameron has done is say, well, I'm probably not the right person to do this negotiating. You didn't pick my way and you're not happy with the deal I negotiated last time. So I'm going to step down by October and there's going to be a new leader. His main rival, uh, Boris Johnson, is seen as one of the leading contenders uh, to replace him. Uh, there's also Michael Gove, the justice minister. Uh, there's a quieter dark horse candidate too, the home secretary, uh, Theresa May, uh, quite conservative. Uh, she was on the Remain side in this debate, but very quiet about it. And, and, and Boris Johnson, this is the populist, eccentric candidate with crazy blonde hair. Is that correct? Sounds yeah, familiar. That's him, uh, some call him the shaggy toff. Yeah, with toff being <laughs> and, a rich person. And, and about Scotland. Yes. In Scotland, in 2014, they had their own vote on whether to break away, uh, not from the EU, but from the UK to pull out uh, from uh, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. That was a Big deal up there, years of debate, very intense. And finally, after everyone was exhausted, they decided, no, they're going to stay in the UK. And one big reason was because of the benefits of being in the European Union. So now that logic has just been blown up. And a lot of the people who voted to remain in the UK back in 2014 are now saying, you know, I'd like to have another shot at that vote. And the SNP, the Scottish National Party, is uh, thinking about when they might want to do that. I don't think it'll happen right away, hmm. but there probably will be. There's much more likelihood now, let's put it that way. Um, Peter, can I just ask you one last quick question? And that is uh -huh. that I know there are millions of EU citizens living, studying, working in the UK and, and vice mm -hmm. versa. I mean, what happens to those people? Or do you just not know the answer to that question yet? Well, it's a great question. Uh, in the near term, nothing. Um, they're still operating under the old rules and all the old agreements. So anyone with an EU passport can still come in. They're treated like citizens uh, for certain purposes, you know, welfare, tuition, things like that. Uh, and all those folks retiring in Spain, all the Brits uh, uh, scattered across the uh, EU and, and working, of course, in jobs. They will be able to continue to do that. But eventually that is going to change. And that's one of the things they'll be negotiating, exactly how those people will be treated. Will they have access to the lives they have built in other countries or will that have to change? So the pubs tonight, pubs and bars full? Uh, yes, but that's not unusual. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Peter Kenyon, thank you for uh, coming on the NPR Politics Podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Get some sleep. Take thank care. Bye-bye. All right. So what, is, what are your takeaways here? I, I think one thing I just keep circling around, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about how Republican establishment leaders deal with Donald Trump and kind of the short term benefits or risks of embracing him now versus what that means for the party and for, for people like Paul Ryan years down the line. Paul you know? Ryan being the House Speaker, who's very much a Republican establishment guy. Right. Yeah. Who might want to run for president one day or wants to continue being a national leader, you know, in the wake of of this year's election, whether or not Trump wins. But I'm just amazed by the fact that in order to cut a deal to get party unity in an election a year ago, you know, David Cameron comes up with bargain. OK, we'll have a referendum. 
And now the entire future of Great Britain has been upended because of I mean, this short-term political clear. deal. Like he did that to keep his conservative party together. That right. is the reason why this referendum happened. And now it spirals out of control, raising questions about the future of the entire EU. Can other countries leave it? And of course, his career is ruined. He's getting booted out of office. So are you telling me that Texas is about to leave and California <laughs> might just float off into the ocean? I think America settled the issue of whether or not states could leave <laughs> on its own already. Uh. <laughs> Secession. But but I think you're right, Scott, about there being parallels. I mean, look, I don't want to say that David Cameron is Paul Ryan, but I think that there are parallels in these establishment leaders of conservative parties trying to hold things together and not knowing if they've opened up Pandora's box. Right. I have another parallel just to toss in there, which is Hillary Clinton is campaigning against Donald Trump. One of her main messages against Donald Trump is... He's dangerous. It could cause instability. It could upset the global balance. It could upset things here in this country. And, you know, what you hear from a lot of voters out there, not necessarily a majority, we'll find out about that in November, but what you hear from a lot of people is, I don't want stable because stable has not been good for me. I want to try something different. Um, And so many people say that you can't draw too many parallels. It's a different continent. It's a different kind of election. A referendum isn't a choice between two different people. But, I mean, I think it's so similar, and I think that's so interesting. And, and again, the Clinton camp seems to think that this could go really badly. We don't know what the future holds with this guy. He's dangerous. Seems to be one of their trump cards. But here, you know, you have uh, 52 percent of the country saying, yeah, whatever. And and I think the thing that Peter said, we don't want to hear from the experts anymore, is is what stuck out to me the most. It's so telling of what I hear from voters out on the campaign trail, particularly Trump supporters, this frustration with, you know, both elites, but also a frustration with the status quo. And speaking of Donald Trump, he was in the U.K. as the results came in. Now he was there to open a golf course. Um, But he also talked about Brexit from the ninth hole at his brand new golf course. I I think I see a big parallel. I think people really, I think people really see a big parallel. A lot of people are talking about that, and not only the United States, but other countries. Uh, People want to take their country back. Uh, They want to have independence, in a sense, and uh, you see it with Europe, all over Europe. You're going to have more than just, in my opinion, more than just what happened uh, last night. You're going to have, I think, many other cases where they want to take their borders back. They want to take their... Uh, their monetary back. They want to take a lot of things back. They want to be able to have a country again. I want to toss to one other piece of tape of Donald Trump just very quickly. This is the thing he said that's making a lot of news, making the rounds today. Um, He was asked about what the financial instability could mean. Right. Well, nobody knows. Look, if the pound goes down, they're going to do more business. You know, when the pound goes down, More people are coming to Turnberry, frankly, and the pound has gone down. That's the town where uh, Donald Trump's new golf course is located. But I think places like Scotland and England and different places in Great Britain, I think you're going to see a lot of lot of activity. Uh, Well, I mean, I think uh, there's no question there actually are a lot of parallels here. And I had been working on a story looking at this even before Brexit happened. Uh, talking to a lot of experts in kind of nationalist movements in Europe and in the U.S. And they said that, you know, what Donald Trump's campaign has been running on really is very much in line with what you were seeing in the Brexit argument, but also in high profile, you know, right wing nationalist leaders throughout Europe. People like uh, Marine Le Pen in France is is one high profile example. 
Viktor Orman, the prime minister of uh, Hungary, who who actually built that border wall once he took control when in Hungary. Refugees were coming in, is that right? Yeah, he he put a wall up on on the country's border. Was and it, it actually a wall? It or was more like it a was fence? it was a fence, but they they put a border perimeter up across the entire you know, southern border of the country. And the big picture parallels uh, with, with the people who support these movements, you can point to exact quotes that are almost word for word the same between what Le Pen's saying and what Nigel Farage, who headed the uh, UK Independence Party movement and, and was pushing for Brexit, were saying. Actually, if you listen to what Farage was saying a Friday morning declaring victory, it sounds like a Donald Trump quote. This, this if, all, if the predictions now are right, this will be a victory for real people, a victory for ordinary people, a victory for decent people. And and then he goes on saying, we took on the big banks, we took on the status quo, we took on the politicians. We have fought against the multinationals, we fought against the big merchant banks, we fought against big politics, we fought against lies, corruption, and deceit. And I mean, that's Donald Trump. So, I mean, one thing that's really interesting from all of this is when you look at sort of turnout, the younger voters overwhelmingly voted to remain a part of the EU. It was older voters who might, what, only have, you know, 20 or 30 years left to live who overwhelmingly supported the the vote to leave the EU. And so I did see a lot of tweets last night. I mean, some of them were really sad. I saw this one tweet that had been retweeted, gosh, hundreds of times last night from a young guy in the UK, Oliver, who says, I'm genuinely close to tears. I'm 20. This is my future. We shouldn't be doing this. I hope so much we can turn this around. Well, yeah. And young people overwhelmingly wanted to stay. Older people overwhelmingly wanted to go. Elections have consequences. That's That's it. And as the politicians keep telling us here in the U.S., the stakes have never been higher. And we're going to call it a day and a week. No more news. No more. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or audio recording to nprpolitics at npr.org. If you wanted to sing, totally sing, sing. (laughs) And I know we've got a ton of listeners in the U.K. I would love to hear what they have to say about all of this. Yes. So please, please. And Asma loves the accents that come in, too. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, more of our coverage is at nprpolitics.org or on your local public radio station. And check out Planet Money. They are doing an entire episode about Brexit and the economic implications. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Asma Khalid, campaign reporter. And I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.